Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The Chamber Music Society of St. Louis is celebrating its 10th anniversary later this month and will do so honoring maestro Leonard Slatkin. He's the former St. Louis Symphony Orchestra music director and its conductor laureate. He's currently winding down his time as the Detroit Symphony's music director and is preparing to return to St. Louis later this month for the Chamber Music Society's celebration. Leonard Slatkin joins us by phone, and with me in studio is Mark Gordon, Executive and Artistic Director of the Chamber Music Society of St. Louis. Leonard, are you there? I am here. Hi, Don. Hi, Hi, Mark. Hi, Leonard. Great to talk to you again. It's been a long time. You too. This sounds... I beg your pardon? It has been. Yes, it has. We have to do it more often. Well, well, perhaps we will, because I understand you're coming back at some point to make your permanent residence here in St. Louis. Correct. My wife and I are going to settle down in St. Louis starting, I think, the middle of, or end of June. Uh, it'll become our base of residence because I'm no longer a music director anywhere, and it seems like an ideal place to be. Lots of friends, uh, great uh, facilities, uh, and, of course, baseball. I was going to say, you... National we... League after more than 20 years away. I've had enough of the designated hitter. <laughs> <laughs> very very clearly, you want to be close to your favorite baseball team. You've got that right. You're going to be close to it uh, as well in, in the gala that's coming up a little bit later this month because a former Cardinal is going to be part of the program. Yes. Uh, Mark, you want to say something about that? Sure. Um, well, Ozzie Smith has been, of course, a incredible community person in St. Louis and does a lot of wonderful things. And he did a number of things with us in Powell Hall over the years And I had asked him to join us a few years ago, but he was out of the country. And we asked him again this year to help us honor Leonard, and we thought having two St. Louis icons in the same building at the same time would be remarkable. What kind of a role is he going to play? Well, he's going to be playing the second movement of the Brahms horn trio. (laughs) I'll be there for that. (laughs) Um, we're going to, some of it will be a surprise, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Everybody knows that's kind of like the buzzword for Chamber Music Society of St. Louis. We have great musicians playing great music, but we like to have a lot of fun. And Leonard will fit into that, of course, as he has when he's performed with us in the past. And we think Ozzy will have a good time being a part of the fun. The, the name of the program. plans for the young man. <laughs> well, I know that a typewriter is involved, and there are probably a lot of people in the audience that don't even know what a typewriter is anymore. So true. So true. We'll have to leave that. We will that. get a lesson in history. We'll, uh, we'll have folks uh, wait for the event for that. Uh, the title of it is Notes from Hollywood, the sequel. Mark, I'll start with you as to what that's all about, then we'll talk to Leonard about his role in it. Well, in 2013, I called Leonard to ask about some songs that his parents in the Hollywood String Quartet had recorded with Frank Sinatra. And it was part of a program we were going to do that was chamber music written by the Hollywood film composers. He asked me a lot of questions, and he said, you know, I'd like to be a part of that. So we changed the date so it would coincide with Leonard's schedule. He came, he played some of the piano works that we did, and he talked about the composers, many of whom were visitors in his home in Los Angeles when he was growing up. It was an incredibly popular performance. Uh, We were asked to bring it to Chicago, which we did in 2014. And we've talked about doing it other places, and so this is kind of a... No, we did it it in Lyon. That's right. Leonard did it with his orchestra in Lyon. Lyon, France, I assume. Yes. Correct? Okay. And so we thought we'll 
do another version of it with all different music. But this, of course, to honor Leonard has been, as I said, such an icon in St. Louis. It's not just the association with the symphony. He's part of one of St. Louis's treasures, just the way Ozzie Smith is. So it's a symphony, of course, is what the main connection was and all the accolades that he and the orchestra brought to St. Louis. But it's also the city feels like Leonard is his. And that's what's so spectacular about him moving back here, which we didn't know when this was being planned. And also... It's actually a relatively recent decision. It only even came up as an idea when I was conducting there back in, I think, October. We'd been looking for a place to reside, and all of a sudden, uh, my wife just decided, uh, with my encouraging to take a look around, didn't find anything right away, and then... uh, the right place showed up, we realized this is exactly where we need to be. Um, what Mark says is really true in, when it comes to the fabric of the community. I still feel very close, having had my grandfather come from Russia there at the beginning of the 20th century, and then my father, who was born there and was the uh, assistant concertmaster for so many years, and I was there for 27 years. My son was born there. So there's a, there's a real connection here. Um, I'm truly looking forward to being back and seeing everyone, and especially to be honored at this 10th anniversary event of the Chair Music Society, because this is an organization that sprang up literally from nothing, and has become really important adjunct for the city and spreading all different kinds of music in different ways. Leonard, I'd like to back up a little bit because Mark alluded to your parents, and I think not everybody perhaps knows who they were and and what they did and their role in the music world, particularly out on the West Coast. Um, Give us a a brief bio, if you would. Well, the the, the thumbnail here is that my parents were incredible musicians, and they occupied a special world in Los Angeles by being part of three distinct roles that they played. My dad was the concertmaster of the orchestra at 20th Century Fox. My mother was the first cellist at Warner Brothers. And her brother, Victor, was the pianist at Warner's. So any film that you've seen from the mid-1930s to about 1956, if there's a fiddle solo, it's Fox, it's my dad, cello solo, Warner, it's my mom, same for the piano. So the connection with all of the great film composers, whether it was Alfred Newman, Max Steiner, Korngold, all those classic film scores, that's my parents who were involved in that, and I grew up on the sound stages. But they were also one half of a famed chamber music ensemble, which makes the connection to chamber music St. Louis appropriate, in that the Hollywood String Quartet was well-known from its recordings in particular, garnering many awards and still continue to get accolades even to this day. And the third part of their life was working as musicians in the burgeoning popular music industry, particularly at Capitol Records, with, as uh, Mark said, artists like Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Doris Day, so forth and so on. So it was quite a background that I grew up in. It was incredible to have all these astonishing musicians coming in and out of our house, talking and playing. Was it difficult for them, do you think, to to straddle these different worlds, uh, these different music worlds? Well, maybe at the time, for most people, they would have thought it was that way. But for the people who played in the studios in Hollywood, they brought this incredible professionalism 
and adaptation to all the styles. So they could be equally comfortable in pop idioms, in jazz, and musicals, and string quartets, and symphony playing. For them, it was just great music. It didn't matter what the style was. And they paved the way for a lot of today's performers who sometimes we use the word crossover. I don't really care for that one so much, but just able to shift comfortably between genres. I should point out here also, since we're talking about Leonard's parents, the event is to honor Leonard and his association with St. Louis for so many years, but also we're paying tribute to that symmetry that we talked about earlier with his parents and honoring the Slatkin tradition in St. Louis. His parents, we're going to play a Beethoven, a couple short movements from a Beethoven quartet, obviously not written by Hollywood film composers, but this Opus 30 was at the very first Grammy Awards in 1958, the Hollywood String Quartet. So Leonard's mother and father won a Grammy for this recording. So we're going to pay tribute. And the very first year the Grammys existed. Yes. Well, you've been there yourself, Leonard. Yeah, I have six of the lovely little gramophone statuettes. Should have been seven, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> and who knows? We, we take what we could get. I was hoping, actually, what I need is three more so I can have my own personal recording baseball team. Well, but but you're leaving the biz, at least partially, uh, when you're, not, you're through at Detroit now. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll be finished. I have three more weeks of concerts to do here. But I'm not leaving the profession at all. What I'm doing is giving up the administrative side. For more than 40 years, I've run five different orchestras, uh, St. Louis, of course, even New Orleans. And then there was Washington and there was Detroit. Plus, I've been the chief conductor at the BBC and the music director in Lyon, France. So these orchestras have thrown the backbone of what I consider my career to be. But it's gotten to the point, I'll be 75 and almost a year plus change. And I just want to focus on the music part. And maybe cut back as well, conducting about 28 or 30 weeks a year and be unburdened from what is very demanding in the role as music director, where you are involved with every aspect of the board, the auditions, all the programming, everything that goes on. And in some ways, it can distract a little bit from the actual music making because you're always thinking about so many things but not leaving the business at all there must be something about the year 2018 with uh, you moving on and uh, david robertson doing the same thing here in st louis he finishes up this weekend i believe well he's not the only one a lot of people are uh uh leaving within the next year michael tolson thomas is going to depart san francisco after next season a few others uh it's almost constantly changing business. Uh, fortunately, I do have a very fine relationship with both David and your incoming music director. I gave Stefan Denev his first opportunity to conduct major orchestra in the United States when I invited him to come to Washington. So to some degree, I'm very proud that St. Louis will have a nice little connection to me through the new music director. He was in studio here a couple of weeks ago, and he's a delight. He's a very interesting and charming guy to talk to. Absolutely. Is this Absolutely. And a fine, fine conductor? Is this setting up some sort of a rival a rivalry amongst uh, you fellows who are going out to the <laughs> to the guest conducting gigs? No, no, I don't. 
not that I know of, anyway. Uh, we hardly ever see each other, so it's hard to be rivals. Uh, but on the other hand, we can have tweet storms. Well, we have, well, maybe we have enough of those already. Uh, that, that's well, a, that's another have, story altogether. Why not? Why not have the cultural tweet wars? I think maybe it's, maybe you've come up with something here, Doc. Cultural tweet war. Okay, that's that's something else than what I was thinking of. I want to come back to you, Mark, about uh, about the gala, um, because and then we'll go back to Leonard. The uh, he's going to be playing a role also with regard to the music in terms of telling stories about some of the things we mentioned a little bit earlier. That I think was responsible for the incredible success of the original Notes from Hollywood. To hear this, the kinds of stories and people that we all, at least our generation, grew up with watching these movies. One of the wonderful stories is a work by Eric Korngold that Leonard and our cellist Alvin McCall are going to play. It was from the 1947 movie Deception with Betty Davis. And uh, she played... Uh, it was a love triangle story. I should let L- Leonard tell it, but he, we won't give it away now. But the story behind this work is phenomenal and how his mother was a major role in the sound that came out of the cello in that movie is just engaging. Yeah, she was heard but not seen. Yes. How did that work, Leonard, with regard to uh, your, your parents working with these these various people in the movies? They'd come over to the house, and, and then what? Well, they had to be taught how to emulate a musician. So somebody who might play a violin, and it was on screen, my father would teach them how to look like the violinist. And in the case of this particular film, The Cellist, played by, by Paul Heinrich, he had to somehow make it look like he was really playing. In reality, what happened was he was sitting there, and his tailcoat had two holes, one on either side of the shoulders from the back, and one cellist would be behind him playing the fingering, and the other one would be on the other side doing the bowing. And if you look really carefully in the film Deception, you could actually see one of the other cellist's hands uh, pop up in a, you know, one of those Easter egg moments that we have so often now in films. Were they quick studies for the most part, would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, they had an artistic temperament, and they at least were trained to do it in such a way that made it look like they were playing. Uh, you might be interested, though, that Catherine Hepburn, when she played the role of Clara Schumann, she actually could play the piano. It's not her sound, but the fingers on the keyboard, that was her. And when a, a Sinatra would pop over, that, that of course, was in the Capitol Record days. That, that's a little bit different. Yeah. He would, he would be doing all... Yeah, well, it's entirely different, yeah. because he relied on my parents, both in their roles as violinist and cellist. He always used them on every date. But many times, Capitol Records would actually try to get the arranger, Nelson Little, out of town, because he wasn't such a good conductor. And often albums that say that they are arranged and conducted by Nelson Riddle. Arranged, yes. Conducted by, no, because my dad was also a very distinguished conductor. Well, that's a a bit of a surprise to me, because growing up in that era, uh, Nelson Riddle always got equal billing with Sinatra and and the others. Yeah, but that's the way it was. And at the time, record companies didn't want people who were on their label in the classical vein, as the quartet was, being associated directly with people from the pop world. It just wasn't done. And finally, Sinatra said, I want to do an album with the Hollywood String Quartet. And he insisted 
their name be put on the cover, and Capitol balked at that. But they finally agreed to have that done. They made the album. It wasn't a particular sales success, but a lot of people would tell you that it belongs right up there with the very greatest of the Sinatra albums musically. You know, Leonard mentioned that his father was a conductor. It so happened that Felix Slacken won a Grammy in that very first Grammy Awards in 1958 mm-hmm. for conducting. Yeah. I, I want to come back to Sinatra. The very first celebrity interview I ever did was with Frank Sinatra. It lasted approximately 20. Wow, what a way to start. It lasted 20 seconds, Leonard. <laughs> he was a difficult guy to get along with for a lot of people. Well, you know, what people used to say was if you were Sinatra's friend, you had a friend for life, and you were his enemy, you had an enemy for life. What was he like around the house? He was delightful. Uh, my brother and I uh, called him Uncle Frank. He would sometimes take us by the hand to our bedrooms and sing us to sleep. We visited him on many occasions, both in Las Vegas and Palm Springs, at his homes there. Uh, went to a recording session. He couldn't have been nicer. In fact, we were supposed to do a concert together in St. Louis, and it, it just didn't come to a head. And he was sorry it couldn't work out, and certainly I was. I have to wonder, given the exposure you had to to all the kinds of music that you did, how you moved in the direction you did. I mean, you might just as easily have gone to the popular genre as well, right? I, yes, and to some degree, I did a little bit of everything. The early days, as assistant in St. Louis, I worked with rock and roll ensembles. I did jazz groups, folk singers. We gave the world premiere of Jesus Christ Superstar when I was the assistant. So those parts of the repertoire never left my system. And I, it remains that way today. Here in Detroit a few years ago, we did a concert with Kid Rock. So this has never been a, an issue for me. If it's good music, it's just good music. Uh, I guess partially because of the training as a youngster, both playing the violin, piano, and viola, uh, composing, it seemed logical to want to enter the classical world, particularly after my father died. He was only 47 years old. I was 19 years old. And maybe to some degree, having done left music for a little while, I realized that maybe I could, in effect, take over the one thing my father wanted most of all, and that was to be the leader of a symphony orchestra. He just didn't have enough time to accomplish that. Well, it's so sad to hear of a talent like that being gone at age 47. So many years uh, left ahead. We only have about a minute left, and Mark, let me come back to you and uh, kind of do the commercial for the gala, which has been happening on the uh, 21st of May. Tell Tell us exactly what's happening and where. Well, it will be in the Sheldon. There are VIP ticket packages available, which will include the valet parking and a pre-concert cocktail and then the program in the Sheldon Concert Hall, and then a post-concert dinner. Um, It also includes Leonard's new book, Leading Tones, and with an opportunity, Leonard is always very gracious and enjoys meeting and signing the books for folks. And selling, selling. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's tell it like it is. And uh, there are also concert-only tickets available as well. You can go to the Chamber Music Society of St. Louis website, and you can also call 314-941-6309.
We'll put all of that information on our website so folks can access it easily at stlpublicradio.org. Well, Leonard, we're looking... I can guarantee everybody an absolutely delightful, charming, entertaining, and fun evening. And I hope to see all of our good friends there. And uh, Don, you never know, there might be a place for you, but you're going to have to tweet me about it. Uh, Okay, we'll do it. We'll get the the storm started. Leonard Slatkin, thank you so much. Mark Gordon, thank you so much. Good luck uh, on the the new career, uh, Leonard, if I can put it that way. (laughs) Thanks so much. See you soon in St. Louis. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. The program is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.